We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo Sports Talk and more. My name is Patrick Moran. Thank you very much for listening, for watching, for following, for subscribing. Appreciate y'all very, very much. Um, this is our Tuesday episode, and I'm joined right now by a special guest, somebody who I first had. I had to go back and look this up, Brian, because it's been quite a while, August, or October, not August, October 2019, I had John, man, Brian Cozio from WGR. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? Hey Patrick, great. Yeah, you uh you even had a different name for the show back when I was on it in 2019. Yeah, Miranda. <laughs> the old Miranda podcast, man. Yeah. Um, that was a fun conversation. I didn't we meet, dude. I'm getting old and my, my mind starts to play tricks on me. I forget a lot of stuff, but I feel like not I feel like we did. We we met physically on a plane ride. We ran it. Yes, that's correct. We randomly were set we were sitting next to each other on a plane flying from buffalo to florida and i feel like i was living there at the time yeah you were living in florida for sure you hadn't moved back up to buffalo full time but i think at some point we were talking about your plans of thinking about moving back up or it was in the works maybe at that point already um i don't know if i feel like one of us i I feel like i saw you literally you know i must have been semi eavesdropping on whatever you were scrolling through on Twitter. And I'm like, Hey, that's Patrick. I, I follow him like back and forth. And then I, I don't know if at some point how we introduced ourselves to each other, but then we started talking and chatting and obviously, you know, we knew each other from Twitter land, but yeah, uh, we knew each other yeah. through social media, but I never met <laughs> yeah. in person. And we actually by happenstance just sat together on a, on a plane. I think we yeah. were going to, was it Fort Myers or, or Sarasota? I don't remember, but it was definitely, uh, it was definitely to Florida. Yeah. I remember that. So for everybody out there who lives under a rock, Brian has been with WGR for a a long time. Um, You've seen a lot now at WGR through the years, but the Buffalo Sabres more specifically, you, you started at WGR, I believe in the early, like pretty much at the turn of the century, correct? Yeah. uh, 2001 is when I started. And uh, my first job was Saturday afternoons producing 
New York Yankees games back when we had the mm-hmm. games. It was uh, back John Sterling and Michael Kay were, were doing the games back then. And uh, the Yankees, of course, you know, for all Yankee fans know they were much better back then in terms of their consistency that, you know, that were coming off the late 90s, the sure. Jeter, Bernie Williams, Posada, Pettit teams that were just phenomenal. So um, those games uh, on our station, like we had them on probably five, you know, four or five days a week at that time. I mean, we obviously had some conflicts where maybe Sabres would take precedence or um, if it ran, when it ran into bill season, obviously our bills coverage on Saturday or Sundays was uh, on over the Yankees. But for the most part, we had Yankees on quite a bit, but yeah, that was my first job. It was a Saturday afternoon producer job for Yankees games. And uh, eventually kind of filled in doing talk show hosts here and there. And then uh, coming out of the the Sabres having their back-to-back uh, runs at the conference title there and yeah. you know one step short of the Stanley Cup then um, took over host the year after that and you know I'll be f- I'll be fully willing to uh, to take some guilt in the fact that they haven't won a playoff series since they they've made the playoff <laughs> twice early there but I've been hosting for the Sabres now this is my 16th season wow. now that's my main job at the station six yet uh, 16 seasons and we're, yes, two appearances with two first-round exits, one against the Bruins, one against the Flyers. Uh, the Villy Leno Easter Sunday game was a fun one there. And then, uh, yeah, 13, you know, I'll say 12 because I, I want to be officially right. 12 straight years of missing the playoffs. And then, of course, we're heading down the road toward 13. <laughs> I was going to say, dude, you, trust me when I tell you, I think you're, I think you're good saying 13, man, at this, yeah. at this point. But I still, I, I think that it's pretty cool because even if they didn't win a playoff series, they were still a good team. Back in those days when you first started getting, like I said, when when your job shifted to the Sabres, intermission reports, post game stuff like that, and now you look at this team, and we're, we're going to talk some Sabres here in just a few minutes. Well, so I'm interested in, in the job and just having to deal with or how you deal with fans who are frustrated, some over the top frustrated. I've been there once or twice myself back recently with this team just the frustration, but also for people who, who don't know your teacher as well, tell people about that. There might be some people who didn't catch this podcast back in 2019. Mm-hmm. So I know a couple of things I asked you the first time you were on, but it makes for a pretty busy life. Cause you're also in teaching. Yeah. I um, was hired to be a math teacher, still teach math classes, but because of just how uh, my other broadcasting jobs have gone apart, I now kind of am a half I'm a high, I call myself a hybrid teacher, I guess. Now I teach half math and half media. Yeah. Uh, we've got a really, really strong media program at sweet home, uh, where I teach at the high school and we have some classes. I'll, I'll give a shout out to the lady that I work quite closely with in media, Lisa LeBreaks her name, but, uh, she approached me. She had been teaching kind of a, a film media, public speaking kind of thing. And it was, um, she was saying like, Hey, we need to kind of update this and let's get some more hands-on projects and productions and, and with that, and, you know, she had kind of somewhat, I guess, heard about my background with doing it. And we started with the morning announcements and we got those. We went from the old school Charlie Brown <laughs> PA, you know, announcements to now we we broadcast them on YouTube and share them to the whole school. So that's fun. So the kids get a nice experience We're working with a green screen and all the production that goes into making uh, announcements on the YouTube on YouTube. And then uh, it dwarfed into a class. And now we've got multiple classes and it even uh, spirals into now we have classes where the kids can take it for an ag or university credit and college credit. So, uh, it's really, really blown up and, uh, we're, we're really pumped about where it's going, but yeah, so that's how I spend my days from seven in the morning until two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon. I coach a couple of sports there. I've been coaching, 
uh, boys tennis in the spring. Uh, this will be my 21st season starting up here in March. So I've been doing wow. that quite a while. And then last year, really, really fortunate because uh, for those of you that follow me from T to green stuff, uh, golf is one of my big passions in my life. Um, I, the golf job opened up here at Sweet Home and I was coaching varsity golf in the fall. So now I'm coaching two, two sports there and uh, the Sabres 82 nights too. So that's been uh, fun. Yes, some of my days are school seven to three, practice three to five, the arena from 530 to midnight or 1130 or something like that. So it makes for some long days, but I'm, I still have never lost my passion for sports and Buffalo sports and um I still love coaching too. Like I just, every year as I get older here now, I'm in my mid forties. I keep saying like, all right, I have to cut back because physically I'm just more tired being a, a 46 year old now than what I was when I was 26 doing it, but I can't give it up. Um, even the Sabres who have definitely mentally driven me into the ground with uh, thinking like, okay, this is going to be better this year. I don't have to do the exact same post game show all the time talking about, do we have the right coach? Should we fire the coach? Do we have the right GM? Should we fire the GM? Um, maybe I can actually talk about the games with them having some meaning. And uh, yep, well, you know, we're, 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 are we circling back on the same conversation again here? Maybe at some point with the Sabres. <laughs> I want to, <laughs> you, you know, you, you just hinted at it a little bit there. I, I kind of want to pull that curtain back a little bit, like during the season. All right. So all the stuff that you do kind of take people who are, who are watching or listening to the show right now a little bit behind the scenes of what a typical day will look like from when you get up to when you go to bed on a night when the Buffalo Sabres are playing during the school year, during the week. I can't even imagine how how nuts it is. Kind of take us through that day for you, a typical Sabres game night during the school year, a weeknight. Yeah, sure. So usually uh, I, I wake up probably just around, I set my alarm for just a little before six, hit, hit the snooze a couple of times. I probably wake up just about six o'clock and uh, get myself the, you know, as everybody would do, shower, change, breakfast, all that sort of thing. Um, and I usually leave for school a little before 7 a.m. Um, and my commute to Sweet Home is about 10 minutes, so that's nice. And then uh, at school, a little bit after 7, we start teaching classes at 7.25 in the morning. So it's pretty early at the high school. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then uh, have my couple of math classes, have my couple of media classes and our morning announcements. And then during the golf season in the fall and the tennis season in the spring, most days we'll either have a practice or a match. So um, for Sweet Home, our home course for golf is Brighton. So there's some days that after the last class, I drive over to Brighton and my team meets me over there. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have practice there or we have a match against somebody. And uh, for tennis, same thing where at least I don't have to leave the campus for that. I've got practice after school or a match after school outside of the courts. And now if it happens to be a Sabre night, um, you know, usually if it's at the arena, I'm usually down there a little bit after six or six or so. I talked to Paul Hamilton, talked to Pat Malacaro. Those are my guys down there that uh, help the broadcast go smoothly as well. Um, you know, I'll usually even check in. Dan Dunleavy's floating in the booth next to me. So he and I'll chat for a few minutes. And even during the day, like literally when I'm having my lunch period at school, when I'm eating my sandwich, I'm also going through like Twitter or articles or checking the website for, you know, the Florida Panthers, who they happen to be playing on Tuesday. You know, I'm looking for them. You know, what's what's going on with the Panthers? Squeeze um, it in some prep time. Squeeze it in a little prep in there, too. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, yes, that's right. So, I mean, you know, it's kind of 
I, I, you know, we get bombarded now, obviously, uh, on social media with what's happening with other teams. So um, it's a little easier to maybe follow it than it was even just 20 years ago, where I had to like go search for newspaper articles. Now it's like I can, you know, even just pulling up the team's own content. It's it's not as challenging to maybe keep up with the other teams, but the teams in the Eastern Conference, I feel like I see so often, and I'm and I'm so familiar with their players and uh, their rosters and things like that. So, um, but it's it's a lot of it. Obviously, you know, is as we are taking the Sabres angle of things is I'm talking to Paul Hamilton of like, okay, what happened at the morning skate today? What are the topics that you and I want to talk about in pregame? Um, you know, and, and that's really more of the angle. Uh, the game will take care of a lot of what I'm going to talk about on postgame itself, but we usually will talk every game day about, okay, you know, who did you talk to? Who are your, who are our pregame interviews? What interesting things did they have to say? And then what sort of angle can we go from there? Um, but to, to finish off your question, you know, then I'm, we're at the game till, let's see, the game ends maybe 9.30, 9.40. Our post-game show, for home games, we like to go a little bit longer. Uh, So maybe around 11-ish or 11.15, depending upon how interesting the game is. Uh, Just because we know we have, obviously, you know, 15,000 to 19,000 people driving home. Um, So we usually go a little bit longer for the the home games, just because we know people are in the car a little bit longer. We've got a a bigger audience for those home games. So then... uh, get home a little before midnight and get try to get six hours of sleep and get up and do it again the next day. <laughs> is, it, is it hard sometimes, you know, you have that long of a day and you would think, I would certainly think, my God, how's this guy even still got his eyes open? How are you still standing? That's a long day, but is it also a struggle sometimes maybe to be able to unwind from that day? You do a game, you do a post game. And by the time you get home, maybe you're still a little bit wired up from just eating credit overtired from a long day. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, the, um, being on the air, like it does take my brain a little bit time to relax. Um, that part is, is sometimes difficult, but, um, as I've gotten older, it's been easier to, to, to fall asleep a little bit quicker. Um, you know, people just like yourself would say like, man, aren't you tired during those days? I would actually say, no, it's the days that I actually, if I don't have a practice, and I come right home. As soon as I sit down, then usually catches they're, they're, uh, you. Yeah. That's when it catches me. I'm like, oh, my, your body, your body said, oh, I, we can relax now. And sometimes, you know, three o'clock, four o'clock, all of a sudden you'll find me. Oh, I just got an hour nap in, which, you know, we all, I think we all enjoy a little afternoon snooze from time to time. So, but uh, yeah, I've got a very uh, understanding and supportive wife that uh, has helped me throughout this when my son who's now in high school, uh, was younger, you know, just kind of doing shuffling the things that you do when you have a kid, uh, on nights when I have sabers and things like that. So, uh, you know, kudos to them for helping me do through this. And, um, I still, you know, every year I'm like, okay, I, I've got to figure out a way to get it more organized. And then something opportunity will come up. I'm like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta do this. I just, I, I'm the worst person in the world saying no to things because I always feel like I am, I enjoy the, it so much. Um, yeah. and that's why I haven't, that's why I really haven't ever thought about stepping back from the Sabres because every year there's something that I was like, you know what? I, I want to be down at the arena. I want to be talking to fans. I want to be on the air when something good happens. And I know that you'd probably, many of you are sitting here right now saying, Brian, what are you thinking here with this team? But <laughs> like every year there's something little, um, and because you do have the time off, like at the, when the season ends, which now has ended in early April, you know, for what's going on now, 13 in a row, um, you are tired from, the, from doing it three to, you know, three nights a week or so. But um, by the time it comes back to late September and they're back for training camp again and they start it up again, like I'm ready to go. 
just because of like, okay, this is this is this is going to be the year that's going to be fun. Um, the amount of interaction, I know enjoyment that you get interacting with people um, through this podcast and through social media. Um, I feel like I've got a whole nother family down at the arena in the press box, whether it's sure. Paul Hamilton or Pat Malacaro or Dan Dunleavy or uh, our engineer, Tom Manny, or just even some of the, all the other media members and reporters, like getting to see them and chatting about the team and chatting about each other's lives. And um, I, I'm just not ready to, to walk away from that in the sense that uh, I enjoy all these personal interactions so much beyond the fact that, you know, we're still down there watching a sporting event for, uh, a team in Buffalo that obviously, you know, the community is rooting hard for. And um, I am rooting hard for them too, to succeed because guess what? More people will find tuning into our pregame shows and postgame shows a lot. You know, they find that to be a lot more interesting. I mean, that, that's one thing. Yeah. That's one thing that I always feel like um, Patrick, that I think fans are totally wrong with when, you know, you hear one of our talk show hosts, like get on, somebody from the bills or the sabers or like get on Sean McDermott or get to get on Don Granado um, to, to think like, Oh, the media is rooting against these teams. Like I, I I'm not going to speak for everybody that's a media member, but I feel like every media member knows the better the team is, the more people will tune into their coverage and listen to their shows and click on their links and read their articles and listen to their podcasts. So there is really not a lot of benefit to the team being awful as a media member. If the Sabres are really good, more people are going to listen to WGR and the Sabres games and listen to my post game and want to call in and want to tweet back and forth. And I just, you know, I, so I want them to do well, even beyond the fact that I've grown up in Buffalo. Like I, you know, I I've done this long enough now to feel like I can separate myself rooting for the team in terms of their success, but also doing the job properly and unbiasedly on the air that I can, sure. I can do what I feel like I have to do there. But for any media member to say like, Oh, I'm, I'm really rooting for them to go down. Well, then they don't really care about their, their job in terms of it, of maximizing the audience. I'm, gl I'm glad you said that. I respect that. And I'll take it even a step further. I feel that there's a lot of people out there. They won't necessarily say that they're even, or they're, it's not even about rooting against the team. It's when they say that they don't care if they win or not. It's the job. To some extent, that is true. I mean, you got to do the job as a job. You got to be objective. You remove the fandom when you're covering the team, especially journalistically. If you're like, if you're like a, somebody from the Buffalo News, somebody like that. Right. I get that. But anybody, football, hockey, I don't give a shit who it is. And I've said this directly to them. If you're telling me that you don't care about the team or if they win or not, I think you're full of shit because with all due respect, what you said, when the team is good, when the team is winning, people will consume more. It's just as simple as that. Whether it's you on the radio side, whether it's picking up an article and reading the newspaper, whether it's tuning into a, a TV sports talk show, whether it's going into WGR podcast, numbers are better when the team is good because people are interested. You know, I, I probably shouldn't say this. I'm a podcaster, but like when the bills lose, I do my show and then I don't want to hear about the bills from anybody for at least 24 to 48 hours before I get over it. You know what I mean? So I don't buy it that people are out there saying that they don't care. Now I do believe that there are people who are not fans of the team, which is fine. You don't got to be a fan of the team, Yeah, but you there's still definitely, yeah, there's definitely media members that 
did not grow up as Western New Yorkers sure. that probably, you know, if, if they're if they're in sports, they grew up a sports fan in some sense. I'm sure they had their favorite teams. I, mm-hmm. I would assume, you know, a seven year old is not saying I'm going to root watch sports unbiasedly from, you know, like, they, they obviously were fans of teams at some point. And I, I understand, hey, if, if someone grew up in another city, never lived in Buffalo, came here and was hired as a sports reporter in some aspect that they may not have a rooting interest necessarily. Sure. Now, I grew up in Buffalo. I lived in Lancaster. I grew up. I now live in, in Amherst. And like I, you know, I am a I am a I have a rooting interest in wanting the Bills and the Sabres to do well uh, because of our as we just talked about professionally and also even just personally, like I want to see them succeed Um you know, when I'm on the air, I will always, again, try to be as professional as possible in terms of analyzing the team as a broadcaster, not as a fan. I will under, I think I can understand how fans feel for sure. Uh, and, you know, I understand Sabres fans' frustration. Uh, I understand why some Bills fans were uh, calling for Sean McDermott's head in the, you know, during the middle of the season this year, even though necessarily maybe it might have been warranted or not. Like, I can understand that for sure. But, I think every media member, regardless of whether they grew up in Buffalo, whether they root for the Bills, they rooted for the Sabres, whether they now are what they would say are not a fan or out of what. When the team is doing better, people want to consume more media about it, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a talk show, whether it's TV, whether it's newspaper, whether it's a website, whether it's a blog, people want more of that stuff. And I think that when the team does better, that just goes hand in hand. So I, I agree with you. And um, for anybody to say like it really doesn't matter, like, well then I I feel like then you're not truly interested in maximizing whatever platform you're working for. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to be clear too because I'm not suggesting that that people are lying when they say I'm not a fan of the team. They can be very truthful with that, but they do care about the team playing well. Was my point because then people are going right. to want to read their stuff, listen to their stuff, whatever uh, it may be. I want to talk about some radio callers here in just a minute, but. I'm reminded because when, when you started talking about your job with school and the media, because I, I remember a couple of years ago, um, you were so kind to ask me to speak to your class. It was via Zoom. I think I was still living in Florida about podcasting. Yeah. And I still remember that. It's funny because <laughs> I have these guests on the show, media people, athletes. I don't even flinch anymore. I'm just so comfortable doing this. I feel like you and I are just having a casual conversation. But when it comes to stuff like that, Nervous as hell, man. Nervous <laughs> as hell. I like what you guys are doing, by the way, with the media class and podcasting and stuff at Sweet Home, because I really think that's kind of like the future of this industry. Yeah. Not necessarily to some extent podcasting, but just media. And um, I think, Brian, we're living in an age now where you're going to see more and more people. I, I'll use Tyler Dunn as a, as a good example. Um and, you know, I know some a lot of Bills fans out there feel some kind of way about him over to some Sean McDermott articles. Not that, but I'm talking about just what he's done. You know, he worked for a newspaper, then he worked for the Bleacher Report. And when that came to an end, he decided to kind of gamble on himself. He made a name for himself, started his own Substack, writes as a podcast, things like that. I think you're going to start to see over the next handful of years, more and more people in the media who might be at a newspaper right now or, or write for the athletic things like that. I think you're going to start to see more people go that route where they're their own. They make a name for themselves. They, you know, they, they pay their dues and, and then they kind of go their own way and embed on themselves um, a little bit. I just, I think podcasting and broadcasting is um, it's a, it's a great art to learn. And I think it's useful. Even if you're not a podcaster as an adult, I think it's a very useful tool to have, to have, at a young age like that. 
Yeah. And, and I'll, um, I'll compliment you here while we're here. A, a big reason beyond the fact that we obviously met in person and chatted a little bit, but um, the big reason why I had you come and speak with our classes on Zoom was because I said, one of, what I tell them is one of the most important things about a podcast is being consistent in terms of how you do it. I said, there's so many podcasts that you see out there that do it. And then it, they kind of fade away and then they'll come back like a month later and then they'll do it and then they'll do it for three weeks. And then all of a sudden they disappear for three months and then all of a sudden it'll come back. I said, if you have one of the most important things and I'm, you know, I'm telling these teenagers here that are maybe interested in doing it, if, you know, anybody can start a podcast. You, you, you don't have, you, you don't have to be rich to do it. You can just get, you know, right now the quality of getting equipment is the best it's ever been. Sure. But you, you do have to have dedication to do it consistently. And I said to them, if even the day before you came and spoke with them, as I was telling them uh, and kind of introducing about what you do, I said, one of the best things that Patrick does is that he's super consistent with it. That's out of all the people that I know in this area that do podcasts. I said, you're as consistent as anybody in terms of producing regular content. And I think that that's how you gain uh, viewers and listeners and followers is because they know you're going to be there and you aren't going to disappear for months on end, or you're you're only gonna you're you're not gonna do it just when you feel like it. You you do it consistently, and I think you you know kudos to you for doing a great job. Well, I appreciate that very much. Um, and you know this from radio too. It's it's kind of the same deal. It's just about comfort and consistency, and just getting comfortable. So for kids who are still in high school at that age, to start to get a little bit of a taste of it, I think it kind of it's a skill for them to learn, and also kind of grows their confidence and their comfort being able to speak with other people uh, listening. And again, I just think podcasting is a, a big part of not just the present, but also uh, the future. But so is calling in the radio shows after Sabre games or before Sabre games, you know, talking about the team during intermission. Before we go to a break here, I wanted to ask you, because then we'll talk some Sabres specifically, but how frustrating can it get sometimes when, especially when you come off a season like last year, you know, the team was young. I think last year was, unexpected for them to be as good as they were. You know, they come within two points of making the playoffs. That puts the the ceiling for this season significantly higher. And this team has kind of fallen backwards for a lot of reasons, which we'll talk about in a few. But the fans, you know, it, it's and on one hand, it's like, God, I, I can only imagine how annoying some of those calls must be. But on the other hand, I would imagine that you have some sense of, almost like empathy for them. You know, they're, they're suffering in a way. I mean, it's sports at the end of the day, but still it's, it's, it's frustrating. It's, it makes you angry sometimes watching this team play. And, you know, they always say, don't shoot the messenger, but sometimes Brian Cozio, you are the messenger, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when they call in and they, and then they shoot you, but just talk about how maybe it can be a little bit difficult at times, just on bad nights, bad games or bad stretches, you know, as, as part of that job. Yeah, I, there's two challenges I feel like that you bring up here for me as the host. One is what are fans wanting to say? How are they feeling after another bad loss or of another bad night in the? And again, the home games tend to be more of a stronger reaction because people are in the building. Mm -hmm. They've invested. They've invested their own hard-earned money to go, and they're leaving. And now all of a sudden, now it's like. They 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 want to like they want to tell somebody how they're how they're frustrated and you know obviously the post game shows a platform to do that sure. um, so I always want to be cognizant of the fact that hey the person that's calling right now might have just spent two hundred bucks to take you know 
them and their son or their daughter to the game. Uh, or maybe it was a, a long planned night out. Maybe, you know, the one time that he, this guy and his buddy get to go to the game together and um, the game ended up being a clunker and terrible and you're, you're frustrated the whole night. So I understand that um, wanting to let fans kind of vent a little in that sense. Um, the challenge for me then is, is it interesting radio for you to listen to? And mm-hmm. one, the one term that I know that we as a group up there collectively up in the booth sometimes are talking about, we, I, I at least use the phrase is Sabres fatigue is that if I, every single show start every single post game show, starts talking about this team is not going anywhere. This team's not good. We should fire the coach. We should fire the GM. Um, I feel like fans have Sabre fatigue because of what we've had throughout this drought. And I think at some point, there's a level where I have to just be careful with that because I don't want people to just turn it off because they're just sick of it. So even when they're not winning, how can I make it interesting to listen to is a challenge for me in that sense that I'm like, okay, this guy's just had enough of the Sabres. They're changing the channel on their way home. Or if they are, because now it's so easy to listen on the app, maybe they are sitting on their couch at home and they're like, you know what, I'm just going to I'm going to stop listening. I'm going to go watch TV or watch something else or go to bed or whatever, you know, when it happens at night. So I, I'm always thinking about how, how can we let fans show their emotions uh, in the proper fashion without it's without it beating up people enough to the point where they just don't want to listen to anymore. And because it's been so prolonged here for so long, I always feel like that's a a balancing act that I'm trying to handle um, to the best of my ability. Uh, One of the things that I do also on post game more recently than maybe in the early years um, is that I am always during our post game interviews when Paul Hamilton's doing them, I'm trying to uh, put out quotes. I feel like that's the one thing that I can do uniquely maybe than any other media member, all the reporters in the room, they're holding a microphone. They're in there. Like they're not able to start typing and tweet and things like that. Um, so I feel like the one thing that maybe is unique for me to do is, Hey, while I'm listening to the interview is I'm, tweeting out the quotes and sending them out. And I get probably the most reaction from those of any um, because they get so upset about what the players and the coaches are saying after losses of, you know, the, the classic quotes we've heard over and over and over throughout the years of like, we didn't come ready to play or we didn't quite give a 60 minute effort or, you know, all these cliches that we keep hearing over and over during these struggles. And the fan reaction to that is super strong just because a lot of times they're just seeing the quote and they're like, why could he, how could he possibly say that? That's sort of, you know, how, how is this, unaccept, how is this acceptable? All these sort of things. How could a coach, you know, can keep his job when his team doesn't come ready to play? You know, all these sort of things that I get strong reactions to. I mean, there's nights where my notifications box is like hundreds and hundreds of people just responding to these quotes from the post game after, after uh, games are over. And a lot of them for the most part are warranted in terms of how fans are saying it, but they also have to understand too like, what else would you want a player to say at this point? If I'm asking you, hey, you know, what happened tonight? Well, do you want him to ask, answer honestly and say, look, it, we weren't ready to go in the first period? Blah, blah, blah. And then you get a whole bunch of responses from that. Um, as you know now, there's also a part of talk shows that read social media comments. So that's mm-hmm. something that I also have been do- doing a little bit more on the post game, And partially, too, because I can pick and choose those a little bit easier when I press the button to say, hey, let's go to Patrick and Buffalo. Patrick, welcome. You're on the post game. I really don't know ultimately where this is going to end up. Now, on the screen, it might say Patrick wants to fire Granado. But ultimately, there's a little bit of an unknown there 
the tweets, even though I'm seeing them, and boy, the words that I see in some of these comments like are crazy, I at least can filter them of which ones I read and which ones I don't. So that <laughs> there's right. a little comfort. There's yeah. a little comfort in that. And it's also helping me as a host. I can kind of steer it like, hey, I'm going to bring up, I got two tweets about this way. And then I got another tweet that looks at it at a different angle. And I can also then almost make a segment of my own of kind of posing both sides and presenting it and giving my opinion on it and that sort of thing. So using social media and, you know, Twitter for sports seems to be just the one that uh, X, I guess I should be saying X now the whole time here seems to be one that um, allows me a little bit more creativity in terms now how I can steer the conversation. So it isn't just the same over and over. This team's terrible. This team's not good enough. We need to fire the coach. We need to fire the GM. So you're not hearing that constantly over and over. I like the fact, you know, so many media people that I talk to on this podcast or just in life and generally, it's, it's always like a love hate relationship with Twitter X, whatever we want to call it here. <laughs> like some people love it. Some people hate it. And sometimes it's useful. Sometimes it's a, a detriment to what you're trying to trying to achieve. In this case, uh, you make it pretty clear, which, which I like that, that social media can help you you know, with, with parts of your show content for your show by being able, like you said, going through some comments, reading some, maybe retweeting some stuff, getting some quotes, stuff like that on social media before other people. So in your case, social media, you know, specifically uh, here X is, is kind of used to your, uh, to your benefit. I like that. I'm gonna tell you what, I'm gonna take a real quick break, come back and we'll talk about at least a few of the reasons why I'm going to ask you what you think is the reason that we're about to go to, uh, 13 straight years where Brian will not be, um, you know, live at the arena before a first round playoff series. Be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, I am back here with Brian Cozio from WGR 550. Look, there's, I mean, I'm not going to ask you something that I'm sure you haven't been asked by callers a million times over the past couple months, but I look at this team and, you know, I'm pretty honest about where I'm at with the Sabres. Like when it comes to the Bills, I'm locked in. I'm I am as locked in as somebody can get on the football side. The hockey side, I watch the majority of the games. Um, I kind of hate this team right now, although they've won three in a row. So now I'm getting back on that bandwagon, inching my way there little by little. But I went through some stretches where I've legitimately hated this hockey team. They're, they've been unlikable to me. Not last year, but 
a lot of this year. I'm just being honest with you. But anyway, to me, I look at this team. They played 58 games. They're on a three-game winning streak. And by the way, Sunday night, uh, Carolina, I actually wanted to ask you about that too because that atmosphere felt fun. I could feel it on TV. And there's been a lot of home games this year where I kind of felt that vibe watching the game. But anyway, my point is this, uh, Brian. They're 14-11-3 on the road, but they're just 13-16-1 at home. And then last year when they were good, they were 25-13-3 on the road, missed the playoffs by literally just two points, but they were only 17-20-4 last year. Uh, I think last year for sure and kind of into this year too, I think the big question is, like, why does this team seem like almost like night and day better on the road this year than they do at home? Because the metrics don't look that different when you when you look at them. So Don Granato was actually asked this. Um, I want to say the last home, the last road game when they won uh, in Columbus. Just you know, what they were seven and they're seven and one now on the road in 2024. And last year too, with this. Yeah majority of the players the same the same group of players here they were they had a better they had a nice winning record on the road comparable to the best teams in the nhl but the best teams in the nhl also have a nice record at home too i mean that's supposed to be an advantage whereas the sabers obviously had a terrible record at home and this year it's been pretty similar so um don granado said look here's what i can tell you why i think we do well on the road he said because we're a young group we tend to hang together more. There's a lot more bonding on the road, he said, which allows for more talk of the game and thought of the game and processing of what we're going to do in the game throughout the day. You know, you know, we're eating meals together. There's a lot more bonding that occurs. And he said he, they feel very relaxed on the road because a lot of their other responsibilities that they may have at home, house, family, other things. Young babies. Yeah, young babies. Guys, things a lot like of these that. guys are having babies now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they have much less of that on the road now. So he says they seem to just relax more and they say tend to play more freely in the style that he's looking for them to do said at home, all those variables of us being together, being in the hotel, the meals together, the talk about the game. He said, we can't control that at home. There is the morning skate. Sometimes it's optional. Sometimes, you know, guys are there. Sometimes they're not, but the hours during the late morning in the afternoon, He's like, we can't control that. You know, we can't expect at home here for them to just sit in the arena for seven hours before they start to get ready to do their pregame routine. So they, you know, do what we all do. We have lives the rest of the day that we have to manage. And some of those can be stressful. And some of those things maybe allow them to maybe not think about the game. Um, he still hasn't quite, you know, ever really fully addressed what I think is always the elephant in the room, and that is the fan reaction in the building. Yes. Uh, yes. On the road, there's some even motivation. I feel like I've heard from them saying like, hey, we love we love hearing the Canadian fans get on Montreal when we are playing better. We love hearing the Toronto fans boo the Leafs because we're up on them. Like that drives them. At home though, and, and I'll, I'll quote Paul Hamilton for this because Paul's at all the road games. He said that the Sabres fans are the quickest to turn against the home team as, as maybe there would be in other buildings. Um, he said some buildings, when it's not going well, it's just quiet. Like there's just, you know, there's, there isn't that strong reaction. And, I, you know, I would say part of this is, I think, just the passion of this city that they have for their teams and how much invested they are for all the variety of reasons we've been talking about. Um, but because I think fans that are in the building now have gone through this long drought, 
they are just, you know, up to here with just not having the patience anymore. And this group, we know, just like it was with with McDermott and Bean, they were, they even publicly said on the record, like, look, we know the Bills drought all 17 years is not us, but we know that right now we're the face of it because we're the guys in charge. So we do, we, in some sense, whether it's our fault or not, we bear a little responsibility for the franchise not succeeding. And the Sabres have now reached that point, sadly enough. And I think it's even worse than the Bills drought because I, I think it's harder to make the playoffs in the NFL than it is in the, in the NHL. But um, now, you know, Don Granato and Kevin Adams are the faces of a third going on a 13 year drought. And yes, almost all of these players on the ice have only played for a few seasons for this team. Um, when there's a bad first period or a bad goal against or a bad play, like I think a lot of the extra negativity that you feel in the atmosphere in the building, I don't think it's all directed at that exact moment. I think it's directed of the 13 year drought and people just being upset of how long it's gotten. And I don't think I don't I don't think that's fans' fault either. I think that's just naturally what they're feeling because people are so passionate in the city about this franchise. And I, I think you it doesn't take doesn't take much to ha- have the whole city buy back in. We saw it even just last year. The Sabres played ho- good hockey for one month, and it felt almost like they were on their way to the Stanley Cup with how how great it was in the city last year. So um, I, I don't ever want to say like, oh, Saber fans shouldn't boo or whatever. I just think it's just their natural reaction. But because it's been for so long and so prolonged, the players that are just currently wearing the sweaters and the coach that's currently behind the bench and the GM that's currently sitting up in the press box, they are just the new faces that are getting the brunt of this frustration here that's been here for so long. You know, I'm glad in this case that I get to talk to you about this as opposed to say somebody like um, like Lance Lozowski. And I love Lance. There's no distant Lance whatsoever. But Lance has been here a couple of years. You know what I mean? He didn't grow up in this area. So you've been around, you grew up here, you know firsthand what it's like. You were at WGR, even if you didn't start doing Saber stuff until, like I said, the, you know, the, the, the cup runs were pretty much done at that point. But you were here, you know what it's like, the city, when the Sabres are contenders. You see the passion, you know what it's like firsthand. You've seen it with your own eyes many times. I like, you know, it, it's something you got to be really careful about because you can't bless the building sucks. All right. I'm, that's what I'm going to say. A lot of nights to, I, I've been to some games. I felt like I was at a morgue at times, but who am I to, to be mad at fans for that, for that vibe? Because they've been beaten up now for so many years. You know, Ryan, what is this? This is going to be year 13. I think the Sabres have had two winning seasons during that stretch, not making a playoff two winning seasons. They have finished dead last in the NHL three times. More than they've had winning seasons during this stretch. I just feel like the atmosphere and the, it just feels real low energy at times, but it's really hard to get on the fans. But this is where I agree with you. The players, these young guys, especially it's not on them that this team didn't make the playoffs for going on 13 years. A lot of these guys are young court players and they've only been here a couple of years. It's kind of unfair that they're carrying the burden of, of so much fan frustration but it is apparent that they're a different team on the road than they are at home for whatever that reason may be uh i don't like to say a lack of leadership because i'm not i don't think the sabers necessarily lack leaders but i don't know man this team just comes out and it feels like sometimes they're sleepwalking through the first period at least if not half a game when they play at home 
it's tough because I want more energy at the games. I think the, I think the players would thrive off more energy. So the fans having more passion and energy, I think directly helps the team, but like Sunday night, but I also, it's hard to really be mad at fans for, for, for booing or for just not really doing much of anything at the games. The atmosphere, third period overtime shootout for the Carolina game on Sunday night. You said it, it really was energizing to the team yeah. and they comment on it when the fans are into it, that how it helps them so much. So I guess if anything, if fans are looking for some sort of like signal or encouragement um, to say like, look, when, when the atmosphere in the arena is good, it does help them. With that being said, I mean, again, I can't sit here and say, well, when the Sabres are down 2 nothing after the first period and they look lackluster, like, don't boo. Like, I, I can't say that either because I understand that feeling in that building is it's rough. And I guess, you know, a lot of it is the chicken or the egg conversation of like, well, if the fans and the atmosphere was better, would the Sabres perform better? Well, if they perform better, then the atmosphere would be better. Like, which one really is it? Well, they, they right. kind of go together. <laughs> they kind of go together. Right. Um, and this group is not on the hook for 13 years, but they're the, currently the ones that are playing for this team and wearing the jerseys that everybody's rooting for in that building. So um, it does make for a, a weird dynamic. Um, I wouldn't say it's like it was for the tank here. That was just maybe the most unique thing I've ever experienced in person um, with, a fan, with a fan base and its players, you know, hearing when the other team scored, like it's, it hasn't gotten to that level. Like when the opposition scored, like that Saber fans would cheer. That was, that was one of the like just weirdest moments ever that I feel like I'll ever partake in being in a building for uh, with how that year went. Currently, I think this team, like you said, last year was super likable and I think fans did reinvest themselves. A lot of them said, I'm, I'm back in this year because they are likable. And when they got off to another poor start and a, and a big story of the season has been their poor starts, even within games, you know, they've been one of the worst yeah. teams in the NHL in the first period with their goals scored and their goal differential. So that immediately triggers those old feelings of, of past, of past failures and of here you go again, you're down a goal already, or you're down two at the end of the first. And, what are the fans in the building talking about during intermission again? But should we have the right coach? Do we have the right GM? Like the same stuff that we've been having throughout all these years. And uh, I I get why it kind of feels at times in that building like it's not anything like you'd want a home field, home ice, home court advantage to be for any sport. It just it doesn't feel right. I'm not blaming anybody. It just I feel like it's the it's the combination of just everything that's occurred here. Um, and it's only natural you've got a, a, a still a younger team. I feel like they are going to react more when the fans are into it on the good way. And they also might take it a little tough when they're getting booed. Or like they said they did when they heard Don Granado, the chance for fire Donnie, fire Donnie that night against Columbus. Like the players heard that. And, you know, we also know that there was some games here lately that they haven't gone out and saluted the fans at the end of the yeah. game with the sticks as a way of supporting their coach. And I, you know, I think that's great that they're supporting the coach. Would I have advised them to do it in that manner? Not necessarily, but I think it's great that they're, uh, that they still want to play for their coach. I mean, we have probably gone through a handful of coaches over the last, you know, decade plus here where we've sat here and say, do the players really want to play for this guy? You know, whether it was Housley, whether it was Bilesman, whether it was Rolston, 
Clearly not Ralph Kruger. That was an easy one for all of us to see. You didn't have to watch all the games to figure out the players didn't fully buy into what Ralph Kruger was saying. I still think this group is buying in to what Don Granato is saying. I do think they like him. I do think they want to play hard for him. It's To me, there is still a, a big mystery of why we're seeing such inconsistent efforts, especially at KeyBank Center. It's just crazy this season as a whole because, like last year, I mean, again, they almost made the playoffs. They were fun. It was They were entertaining hockey games. Even when they lost, most of the games were fun, and there's just too many games this year where they. it seems like they're just not ready to play in the first period. Like you said, they fall into a hole they can't get out of. But it's the goal scoring. I think that's the, like, the biggest enigma, enigma with this team right now is because last year they were third in the NHL in scoring. Right now, as we record this, they're 22nd in the NHL in scoring. And specifically at home, I looked up these stats. I'm a stat guy, Brian. Tage Thompson's got seven goals in 27 home games this year. Alex Tuck has four goals in 24 home games. Dylan Cousins, five home goals in 29 home games. Skinner is the only guy on the team who's got double-digit goals at home. He's got 12, and he might be out for a bit now. And the only guy with more than eight is Paterka. Do you see a reason why this team's just not scoring the same as it did last year? Or is it just... I don't know. I hate to say it, but dumb puck luck. I mean, I know that sounds like a cop out, but is that legit? I don't know what's going on because this is the same players and they got a year more experience, but they're just not scoring the same like they did last year. Yeah. Look at last night in the overtime. It's tied and Tage Thompson gets the gift of all gifts. He gets that, that turnover and he walks in all alone uh, on Spencer Martin. And it was like deek, 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 deek. And then he, eventually lost control and he got a poke check and he didn't even get a, like a real shot off to me that's such a sign of confidence that he doesn't have it right now last year he walks in and just rips it by the goalie with his lethal shot um i think he's been playing better as of late i really don't have a clear-cut answer as to why it's not going in for him because i right. think thompson in the last few weeks other than the actual goal number production, I think his game, if you just watch him, has looked like it did last season. But the goals are not going in for him, for sure. And the other guys, Cousins, Tuck, those are guys that I think, you know, captain materials, they take they take their, their role and their responsibility so seriously. I do think it's in their head. Those two guys, more than ever, want to perform. Dylan Cousins kind of even got chastised a little by Don Granato saying that you know, he didn't want him to say how upset he was that he wasn't performing. He, you know, in a post-game interview said, look, I'm getting paid. I got a big raise to score goals and I'm not doing it. So if you want to start blaming people like I'm it, how healthy is that when you're a professional athlete, when your livelihood is based upon statistics and performing at a certain mm -hmm. level, like that's got to be really, really tough. And I understand why these guys who got the city to fall in love with them last year and got them on board and Kevin Adams rewarded them with long-term deals. I mean, that's got to be really fulfilling. You have, you are your whole life trying to work up to the point to not only make it as a professional, but then be rewarded as a professional. Well, cousins got that and Darlene got that and power got that and Thompson got that. And now they're, obviously all underachieving in terms of what they're doing in certain aspects. Darlene still at times looks like the, the marvelous Rasmus Darlene and same with Tange Thompson, but statistically this team is scoring is way down and, you know, egg on the face for me. I was definitely the guy last year through that final stretch that said, and if they could have just even gotten average goaltending, this team would be a shoe in for the playoffs. And sure. I said it all summer, man, if, if between Levi and Lucanin 
And by the way, I didn't predict it was going to be Lukanen either. I would have predicted it would have been Levi. If Levi or Lukanen, if one of them can play like a number one goalie, this team is definitely going to break the drought. Well, guess what? Ukapeka Lukanen in these last two months has been the best goalie in the NHL. Yeah. And they're and they're barely above 500. So um, that really, I think, shows uh, and symbolizes what you said, that it's it really goes back to the lack of scoring right now, that they are getting outstanding goaltending. They're, if Lukanen does this for the final two months of the year, I mean, legitimately, he could be right up there with the top three in terms of numbers of goalies in the NHL for even Vesna possibilities. I think because the Sabres are where they are in the standings, maybe he wouldn't get ultimately in that group, but his numbers these last two months have been Vesna-like for sure, and they just have not taken advantage of it. We knew they needed the, an incredible run here to start the second half, and the goaltending you know, that he's put up here, his safe percentage is in, in, in the mid-900s. His goals against is like 1.6-something. It's, it's incredible. These last 15 or so games, he should be like 14-1 and one or 13-1-1 one and one yeah. or something like that with how good he's playing. Um, Yeah, if you look at like bright spots for the Sabres, um, Baturka, Middlestat would definitely be in a mix, but it's clearly UPL. You want to talk about the team not supporting him. Um, He's got a .918 save percentage at home for the entire season. And this includes earlier in the year where he wasn't playing as good as he's been locked in over the last two months or whatever. Um, the team's just 8-8 eight eight in those games at home for him when he's uh, given up 2.08 goals per game. Yeah. And that's for the season, too. Again, that's including a couple of shaky starts early on. You know, I'm old enough to remember preseason when, he's, when he was playing lousy where there are a lot of people, and by a lot of people, I'll include myself, saying you can't keep three goalies. Put UPL on waivers, and if he gets claimed, whatever. You got Levi, you got Comrie. God, where this team would be right now were it not for uh for um UPL. One last Sabres thing too, Bry. Um, um, the last thing I am is a Sabres apologist, but just kind of like with the Bills the last couple of years, they've been snake bending with injuries. I mean, this team is just can't stay healthy. He's always. Injuries. I mean, there's injuries in every league and every team, but it's just like a lot of key players from the Sabres keep missing time. Um, I looked it up, and the Turka and, and Middlestad are the only two guys on the team to play every game so far this season. And there's still 24 more games left to play. Power, Tuck, Skinner, Yokiharu, Tage Thompson, Greenway, and Samuelson have all missed at least six games apiece so far this season. And now Skinner, who knows how what, what happens with him, but Talk about that a little bit because that's a factor. Injuries matter, and this team just seems to get hit really hard with injuries, especially this year. I do think it's a factor, legitimately. I agree. It's something that I think Don Granato and Kevin Adams have tried to maybe not bring up all the time because it definitely sounds like an excuse, and fans don't want to hear it because injuries, as you said, are a part of sports. But this year, it's happened to key players, and it seems like at the worst times, too. Buffalo even right now, like, hey, they're getting their offense, maybe turning the corner a little. Oh, one of their best scorers, Jeff Skinner now. Who knows? Is he going to be out um, for any sort of long-term time? Samuelson, I feel like, has really struggled to maintain a long-term ability to stay healthy. We know his rugged style can lend itself to maybe getting banged up sure. a little bit more here or there. Uh, but the long-term injuries, like, that's just, I gotta say, just freak bad luck that's terrible but the names you mentioned these are not the third and fourth liners for the sabers right. that have been injured it's been their top guys thompson we know missed an entire month there that november december stretch 
Tuck has been missed numerous times. Skinner a little early now. Maybe we'll see if there's something here. Um, Jack I forgot Quinn. about Jack Quinn. Yeah, yeah. We Jack Quinn. We, it's easy to forget because he's he's almost not played at all this year. How amazing was the Dylan Cousins Paterka uh, Quinn line for that short time period when the three of them were back together? It reminded us of how great they were last year when they finished the season so strong. They have really not had that top six together. Um, I'll, I don't have the number in front of me, but I'm gonna, guessing it's probably a dozen or less games that this year they've had those top six together. The Thompson, Tuck, Skinner, and Paterka, Cousins, uh, and Quinn, that they've actually had them all together in the lineup on the same night. It has to be maybe even single-digit amount of games that they've had this year, which is too bad because that then allows... Oh, you know, look at this, Casey Middlestat. What a great emergence that he's had this year, even taking his career to another level. Well, now he's on your third line. And wow, what a surprise. The Sabres got Zach Benson, a player they didn't con- expect to maybe even contribute this year. He's on your third line. And Jordan Greenway has been, I think, good, fulfilling a nice role for a team that doesn't have a lot of toughness and doesn't have a lot of maybe some of those gritty guys that are hard to play against. Greenway kind of can serve that role too. Um, the debate of should there be more of these other players coming up from Rochester, these prospects, that are right now maybe being stopped in terms of the pecking order coming up because Oposo had returned and because Gergensen's had returned. At the very least, Victor Olofsson's taking up a roster spot, which is kind of surprising because he almost never plays. I'm surprised there hasn't been some sort of movement on that. But Kevin Adams decided to bring all those back. And at times, I think it definitely maybe has hurt the opportunity for us to see the next young guy really, really develop. We've seen some of it from Benson, but... Uh, nobody else really has gotten a chance to get their opportunity because of the fact that these veterans are taking up some of these spots here. And where was Peyton Krebs to go? Well, now because there's an injury, they moved him up. He's playing with more skilled players. We're seeing some really good hockey from Peyton Krebs. That was yeah. supposed to be one of the one of the jewels of the Jack Eichel trade, but he'd been spending most of the season on the fourth line, kind of playing in a in a much different role. And you know, I I don't think you know in this. I, I don't mean this in any way to say that it's insulting to Oposo or Gergensen's or Eric Robinson or some of these other guys that he's been playing with on the fourth line, but Peyton Krebs is, is one of the best playmakers on this team, maybe the best passer on the entire roster. And I got to think he's got to be with goal scorers. Like, take advantage of that. Even last night, where he sets up Owen Power, um, how he's behind the net, showing that patience, coming out in front, that vision, the perfect pass, it sets up a goal. Like, those are the plays that Krebs could be making. And if he's got, I think, more offensive-minded finishing players with him, I think we will get better out of Peyton Krebs to where you feel like you're getting some more value back from that trade with Jack Eichel to Vegas. You know, we could sit here all night and kind of slice up pieces of the pie and what we're going to blame for the Sabres not taking that next step this year. I will say Kevin Adams deserves a slice of that as well. You know, one not a great summer for him between... Uh, a couple defensive additions, a couple re-signings. And uh, I mean, look, Devin Levi certainly looked the part at the end of last year. So I can't, you know, even if I wanted to hate on Kevin Adams, and I don't, but even if I did, man, Devin Levi looked like the real deal. And he's still going to be the real deal. But I mean, he looked like it was going to be the real deal right now. And as it turns out, that's going to take a little more time. Still not that big of a factor, though, because UPL has played outstanding even if Devin Levi was here and playing the the UPL's level the Sabres would still be where they're at right now because of the goal scoring um it's good news though for the arena at least anyway I saw on Tuesday here new video board coming revamped yep. roof hey gotta start somewhere right Bri um that's right 
43 by 27 is going to be the new board. The current one is just 22 by 12 and a half. So, I mean, that's not even just like something, you know, a new board. That's a significantly bigger and better one. For sure. And, and part of what we talked about earlier with fan experience, feeling good down at the arena, look at a big piece of that can also be how good you feel down there. If you're in a good mood, I mean, how much did we hear even just negativity about people complaining about concessions? Well, They've stepped that up this year. And for the most part, it's been a really, really positive thing. Uh, we know the concourse and the bathrooms and all those things need work. We know the seats definitely need mm. to be replaced. I was actually kind of hoping that maybe that would be the first move. I know that they're still looking, um, from what I've been told, that the Sabres are still looking into maybe revamping the seating bowl in some capacity. N- not a major change, but maybe there'll be some sort of standing room area or congregation area, almost kind of like you would see at a baseball stadium a little bit more, uh, which I think fans would be totally on board with. I know it's really tough to really have a true open concourse uh, in a closed venue like that, because, you know, otherwise you'd have to really just start, start from scratch building over with the concrete and things like that. But I think you're going to see wider seats, nicer seats. That's just part of what, you know, now, um, state regulations, you just have to have, I mean, the Bisons are going through this too with, with their transition from their red seats to the green seats at the at the ballpark. You have to have a little wider seats now for just kind of just today's amenities and, and specs and things like that. So those are coming. The scoreboard's going to be a big piece of it for sure. Um, you know, the other arenas around the NHL that the, the scoreboard that you see there now is definitely not up to snuff in terms of how it compares. So I think that'll be really nice. I, I thought something that looked really neat that I saw in that, a photo today is that they're actually going to have screens underneath inside of it so that if you're sitting down really, really low, you'll be able to look up and there'll be some screens underneath inside yeah. of the big scoreboard. So you'll be able to take in a lot of that too. Uh, the roof, I know people are saying like, why do you need a new roof? If it's not leaking, what's the big deal? Well, part of it is the support system is not set. I was hearing that it's not, it really wasn't um, structurally sound enough to maybe hold a brand new scoreboard and some of the other things that they want to do up in the catwalk area to maybe improve the whole area up there. So that's a big piece of it too. There were some leaks at some times over the past few seasons too. So I know that was a piece of it, but uh, I think for the scoreboard to be done, it had to have the roof be done. If people are wondering like, well, scrap the roof, give me new seats. Like I, th- I think the roof scoreboard thing just happened. They, they have to go together. I think that was kind of the combination. So it's a start. Definitely. You know, I've got a laundry list of things that I think Terry Pagula needs to do to that arena, but at least this is a start. At least we know the yeah. process is starting here that uh, at least going in there for next season, there'll be something new and exciting to look at. And hopefully for there, uh, it'll continue. I got to be honest with you, man. I, I think at times I, I let my emotions get the best of me. And there's been points of the season with the Sabres, especially recently, where I've just, again, I openly hated Adam Bryant. I had an episode called a couple of weeks ago. Literally, the title of it was called The Buffalo Sabres Are the Worst Organization in All Pro Sports. That was literally the title of I was I was on a heater at that time. But you know, I kind of like step back a little bit and you're like, this is still a young team. And I said that they were unlikable. They're not unlikable. I, I think they're a likable team still. This is a good group of guys. They need to get a couple new players. Some of these young players need to play more consistent. A couple guys need to just step up. I still think the future relatively could be bright for the Sabres. And I know that's pretty weird to say as we had in the season 13 of, of no playoffs. But uh, anyway, I could talk Sabres with you all night. I could talk Tita Green with you all night. Before I let you go, I'm going to ask you one question here. Put on a Bills hat for a minute. What do you see with this team now, say over the course of the next uh, 
maybe a couple weeks. You know that the cap situation is not great. But I know you also know in football, you can always kick the can. You can always find room. Uh, free agency coming up. Do you? What do you see this team doing right now? Is there anything significant that you see this team doing? Or is it going to be just try to resign a couple guys, a couple cheap free agents, and, and head to the draft? How do you see this playing out with the Bills? Well, with the current guys in the roster, I've been impressed with what Brandon Bean's been able to do in terms of bringing guys back. I mean, last year we still thought maybe that the uh, the all pro pair of safeties wouldn't be back together, and somehow you know Jordan Poyer right. ends up coming back. So um, I don't want to discredit the possibility of Brandon Brandon Bean bringing back any current player. Now it seems like Gimme Gabe Davis. We probably are almost off the ledge of thinking that he could come back in terms of just. Sure. Kind of reading between the lines of what we've heard, even today, Sean McDermott uh, from or on Monday, what he said uh, at the combine about you know he he had nice things to say about Gabe and and all these things about his character and his work ethic, but it didn't sound like yes, and we're going to do everything we can to bring him back, sort of thing. We didn't, I didn't really get that gist. Um, I think receiver obviously is where a lot of people have been talking about. Uh, I don't see any reason why they can't draft a receiver early and. Right. Spend this little extra money to go out and get a veteran. To me, if I'm Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, I can't fully sit here and say that um, that there isn't like this kind of this like ticking ticking time bomb in my head, this clock of thinking, how many truly more years do I have Josh Allen being peak NFL quarterback? And I mean at the top. This regular season, he was better than Patrick Mahomes. Now Mahomes, of course, in the playoffs was his wizard, like he tends to be but let, let's throw that name out for the minute there isn't any other quarterback in the nfl that i would want to swap josh allen for uh, i think he played so well down the stretch even in the revamped offense under joe brady even in the fact that they kind of took maybe some of his down the field passes away uh in terms of the game plan so i think you have to sit here and think okay you have legitimately the best quarterback in the nfl how can you win and win now? This isn't like, well, we're going to do what the Chiefs did. Like, well, we we won a Super Bowl. We lost a Super Bowl. Let's retool and trade Tyreek Hill and see if we can kind of piece it back. Incredibly, somehow they won it two years in a row without doing that. But I, I would feel the pressure of, look at how many more years are we going to have Allen at this level where not only can he, his, his arm be as good as anybody in the league, but his legs can be as good as anybody in the league too. He's and such a healthy. Yeah. He has a missed I mean, game. He's, yeah, he's got the longest. I I think I heard somebody say the longest streak of any NFL's active starter in terms of not missing a game. So knock on wood. Let's hope that stays the same. Um, how many more years can you fully hope that he's going to keep doing this at this level? Uh, I would kind of be more of the again. I'm still in the all in mentality. Like, look, um, some of these other teams in the AFC are going to just continue to get better. I feel like I'm at the top. I'm at the top here. Am I at the ultimate peak? No, but. I would do everything I can to try to improve the offense. The offensive line was, I think, very good this year. The McGovern signing last year was great. They stayed healthy. They were very, very good. We had almost no complaints about them all year. Clearly, tight end is something that we wouldn't count as a need with what Kincaid did and Knox being a, a one-two punch. Uh, the running backs, James Cook, I think, even surpassed what everybody thought maybe he could do um, running the ball this year. Obviously, he was, what, in the top five in the league in rushing. So, um, and you can always go out and find the, the second. I mean, look at Ty Johnson was effective. You know, you can find sure. him any day, that player, any day, Latavius Murray, you can find that player any day. So 
Um, what's the only position left? It's receiver. So they've. I think they've got to go all in. I know it's the thought of, well, should you spend the money to get a veteran free agent or should you spend a first round draft pick on it? I'm, I'm on the mind of give me both. Yeah. Like draft, draft somebody in the first round who you're going to have on a rookie deal. It's not going to be super pricey because you're picking 28th. So you're going to be way down. Um, and then go see if you can get your hat in the ring um, for one of these veterans. I think it seems like Michael Pittman might be the most expensive because he's going to probably want a long-term deal. But um, I know I, you know, you and I exchanged tweets about Mike Evans. It, I don't think Mike Evans has to be a, a five-year contract. I think you can meet, could you get him for two or three? And maybe, yes, in the third year, it's going to maybe seem like you're overpaying him. But if you win the Super Bowl next year, then who the hell cares? Like, so what? Like, I, I'm totally, if, if Mike Evans is getting paid $20 million and you're stuck with that three years from now, but you won the Super Bowl previously, then who cares? Go out and do it. It's, <laughs> I first of all, I obviously agree with you. <laughs> here, here it is, real quick. Daquan Jones, I re-signed Daquan Jones. He's 32, 33 years old, won't be more than a couple of years. He solidifies that defensive line. He was in, playing at an all-pro level before he got hurt. Was not the same player late in the season when he came back understandably so he missed a lot of time you can get aj Ebenezer back get him back too those are the two guys i really want to resign because now your defensive line is is fine i agree with you 100 get a wide receiver and, and mike evans i mean i tweeted about him a lot he just seems like the perfect fit for me get him two three-year contract uh i think it's going to make stefan Diggs bigger or i mean not bigger it's going to make him better for sure having mike evans out there with him not to mention kincaid and cook Put it this way. Here's what I don't want. A season coming down to Trent Shurfield making catches because it's, it's yeah. not going to work out. The Bills dropped three long passes against the Chiefs and it killed them. Stefan was one of them and he was guilty of that. But Trent Shurfield dropped two. You got you to be better there. And I agree with you too. Draft a wide receiver, for God's sake, in the first round. Have both because you don't know what the future is going to be for Stefan Diggs beyond this year. Anyways, so... Yeah, so we're on the same page here. Yeah. And the, the argument for Evans, too, to me, just to, to throw one more thought in on him, I understand that maybe you, you can't actually physically afford him because there's other teams with a lot more cap space and uh, you might ultimately get outbid. But the argument for him beyond the, if you can make the money work, to me, it checks a whole lot of boxes. What does Sean McDermott and, and Brandon Bean always still look for? They still look for high character players and great guys in the locker room. Evans checks that box times a thousand. That's yeah. all we've ever heard about that. He's been wonderful in Tampa with all of those things. He works well with veteran quarterbacks. Well, look at Tom Brady and he connected right away. What are the bills maybe losing in Gabe Davis? Well, we think maybe a long-term down or a long uh, pet uh, pass threat down the field. We didn't get that with Sherfield. You mentioned the drops for whatever reason this year, the long pass with Josh Allen, just, it was not there. Evans is outstanding at that. His hands are great. We know he's a route runner, um, a, a great route runner, which is something that if Josh Allen can trust you, he's going to throw you the ball all the time, like he does with Diggs. So I think it checks a lot of boxes. I know it's one player here that uh, I'm kind of going hard in on, but I just I feel like he checks every box the Bills could want. I don't think they can probably financially make it work, but man, if they could swing that, uh, I feel if, like that would be the, the him, deal for them here. If not him, yes. somebody, somebody who matters, somebody who's not, not to you know keep throwing Trent Jerfield in the mud here, but it's got to be somebody who's significantly better than uh, Trent Sherfield. I was laughing, and we're wrapping up the show here. We're done. I was laughing because I get a hockey guy on here. We talk hockey forever. And in my mind, I'm like, over the last five minutes, I'm like, that's what I'm going to clip. 
So like tomorrow when you go on my Twitter <laughs> and it's talking Buffalo and, and I said, Brian Cozy from WGR we're talking Sabres Cincinnati, the clip's going to be you talking about Mike Evans. I can tell you that right now because that's, that's what got me going the most here, bro. Yeah. Hey, let, let, let's, let's get that talk going. I, I would love it. I, again, I, I don't have the books in front of me of how to make it work salary wise, but I got everything else answered for you of why you should sign him. I, I would be all on board for sure. I love it, man. I love it. Make sure you follow Brian on Twitter at Brian WGR. Lock in at WGR, of course, anytime, but especially now when the Sabres are playing or during the season, a little bit of hope, three in a row, looking good, if, even if they're not going to make the playoffs. Let's just see them go on a good run and just have some fun stuff to talk about. That, 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 that in itself will be good enough for me at this point this season, but I appreciate you coming on the pod, man. It was really good to talk to you. Same here, Patrick. Always great talking with you. All right, guys, and I will be back with another episode tomorrow, actually. Talk to you then.